Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church of Auburn, where we get a chance to sit down and have a conversation with Pastor Zellner and learn how God's Word applies to our lives. Welcome back to the Conversations Podcast. If you're recognizing a different voice, you're right. Uh, my name is Will Leitner. I'm the new pastoral intern here at Christ Prez. Uh, Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Will. Absolutely. So today we're going to split up this next... We're walking through the Inquirer's class, which is a chance for the church to understand how um, what Christ Prez teaches and sort of the basic institutions of the church. And so we just spent uh, the last episode talking about the Lord's Supper. Now we're talking about another sacrament, baptism. We tried to fit the first episode within 15 to 20 minutes, which was practically impossible. So we're going to split them up in two different parts, and today is just going to be a basic overview of baptism. So, Pastor Zoner, opening question, where does all this stuff come from? Sure, that's a great question, Will. I think the, the Church has always recognized uh, that there are, that, well, the original church, the early church, began to recognize that there were two sacraments. And those sacraments coincided with the, the sacraments of the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, uh, the, the people of God celebrated the sacrament of the Passover, and then they also celebrated the sacrament of circumcision. They thought through those in that way. In the New Testament, those sacraments are converted to... Uh, so that circumcision is picked up as baptism, and the Lord's Supper, says Jesus, becomes, excuse me, the, the Passover becomes the Lord's Supper. And in that, in that transition, there's a pretty significant uh, component that has to take place, and that is that our Lord Jesus has to be the one who tells us what those sacraments are. It's not the church, it's not church tradition, it's not one pope sitting on his throne that makes that decision. It's actually Jesus Christ who tells us what the sacraments are. And so there's two sacraments in the New Testament. They are the Lord's Supper and baptism. And so um, one of the things that we recognize then, and I think this is an essential part of understanding baptism, and that is who it is that institutes. If, if, if all the sacraments are instituted by Christ, then we have to go back and say, all right, did we just, did we just come to that conclusion, or did Jesus actually institute it? So um, I would point you, if you would, uh, I don't know if you got your Bible, Will, if you'll take a look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, Jesus has already instituted the Passover, turning it into the Lord's Supper. Now he's saying, uh, I want to institute baptism. Would you read that right. section for us? And just to clarify real quick, what you're essentially saying is that this bab- uh, this sacrament of baptism, it, it couldn't have been instituted by John the Baptist. Yeah, I mean, that's the point I'm getting at. And so, so the fact that John is practicing a baptism is actually um, consistent with the fact that John also knows the Old Testament. Right. And that baptism as a concept, this idea of, of ceremonial washings, uh, didn't begin with John the Baptist, but you know we'll talk about it in a little bit. It's it's a it's an age old practice, okay. and 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 you'll also even see, and we'll I'll take you in a minute just to show you some Old Testament passages that were talking about the image of water being the thing which cleanses. But even before we get to John the Baptist, John is aware 
that there is a, there is a series of ceremonial washings that take place in the temple worship. A lamb is to be sacrificed, the hands of the priest are washed. Somebody walks into this uh, this outer court, their hands are washed in a basin. Um, there is a washing of splashing. There's the, these various right. washings that take place in Old Testament ceremonial law. So I say that because, um, you know, when somebody wants to say, well, John is the one who gives us baptism, and we're following John's baptism, I say, actually, John's following the Old Testament. And Jesus tells us how how we can understand the Old Testament in relation to the New Testament ceremonial washing. Okay, so this Matthew 28 passage then is the institution directly from That's Christ. That's exactly right. This is from the mouth of Jesus himself. Okay. Yep. So uh, starting in verse 18, Matthew 28, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yeah, that you know, we think of that as the as the Great Commission, and and it is. Jesus sends forth his disciples uh, into the world to do this, and 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 he says, "Your disciples, I want you to go and make more disciples, and when you do that, I want you to baptize them." And that is uh, to to send them forth with this image of cleansing, uh, and that is he's he's basically saying. Um, not that the water does the cleansing. I want you to make disciples so that they become clean, right? It's and and even that is not just simply about standing on a street corner and sharing the gospel. That's that's conversion. We're talking about making disciples, and and when those disciples begin to become followers of Christ, then Jesus is saying we want to give them the sign of God's promise, okay. the sign of washing, and it symbolizes what's already true in their lives, and that is that they are now cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so you were talking about how this New Testament baptism is different from Old Testament baptism. I never knew that baptism is not uh, a—baptism actually comes from the Old Testament. So maybe explain a little bit more about what that actually looked like and— Yeah. Was it, you know, I think when we think in a modern context about baptism, we usually think about someone being dunked in a pool. So is this the same idea in the Old Testament? And maybe talk a little bit more about that. Well, I think it, you have to kind of begin with the fact that we read we read the Scriptures with our modern sensibilities, right? So uh, probably most of our listeners uh, take a, a bath or a shower or something, maybe daily, if not every other day, something like that. But, but we're a really very clean uh, culture. But in, in the culture in which this is instituted, uh, people don't have access to hot showers every day and that kind of thing. So, so the images that God gives them are images that are intend to sh- intended to show that water has a cleansing effect. And everybody knows that just from, just from natural perspective. If you, if you get your hands dirty in the dirt, uh, you, don't, you don't pick up motor oil to wash them off. You don't pick up wine to wash them off. You, you go to water and you go to a stream and you just scrub the dirt off and that's so that image of course is a natural human image that God has has made clear but what he does is he says this is going to be a part of old testament worship and so in that sense we're I want to talk about the mode of baptism basically just that we're talking about water um and so the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says this, Baptism is a sacrament wherein the washing with water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost 
does signify and seal our engrafting into Christ and partaking of the benefits of the covenant of grace and our engagement to be the Lord's. Now, I wanted to read that because it gives us a concept that that the, the sacrament of baptism is, is intended to signify, in other words, it's pointing to something else, and also, also to seal to us something. And that is to, like a wedding ring on our finger, would, would seal to us that covenant vow. It's actually a, a sign that signifies and seals, holds it to us. And it's signifying our engrafting into Christ. That's actually bigger than Old Testament imagery. Old Testament imagery in the, in the concept of coming into the temple, and I, we wouldn't have time to, to trace all of the steps, but any simple reading of, of what it took to engage in the sacrificial system in the Old Testament would show you Leviticus, uh, Deuteronomy, other places, that the priest had to wash. The priest had to wash in order to be clean, right? Uh, now here's the profound thing that happens. Jesus says, um, I am clean, and I will do the washing. Right, And so suddenly, it's not just the priest who gets a bath, it is Jesus who says, I am clean, and if you are engrafted into me by faith, then I am the one. I'm, a, I'm actually the water. Okay, I'm the one who's going to make you clean. That makes sense. And so what would you say to someone that says that, okay, so I need to be totally submersed in mm-hmm. water in order for this sacrament to be sort of brought about? Yeah, and I, I understand that. Usually I want to approach that for folks with a just a pastoral perspective, and I want to ask, uh, help, help me understand what you're hoping that will accomplish. Um, and usually in those conversations, I think people feel like that's the, that's the way it was done. That's the standard way it was done. But they're not uh, making that standard assumption based on Matthew 28, 18 to 20. They're not making it based on Jesus' institution of the sacrament. They're basing it on the concept of what they think was happening with John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who sits as the last Old Testament prophet, is actually out there in the wilderness saying, if you're going to come to the Lord, you have to come with a broken heart. A, a, a baptism of repentance, says the scriptures, right? But the presumption is they go down into the water and they're baptized, and every American <laughs> from the 1800s and beyond begins to think, well, that surely means a good dunking with a white robe on. Um, that concept would have been uh, foreign. Now, I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying it, it, you at least have to skip over Jesus to get back to John the Baptist to come to that conclusion. And then, likewise, I think you mentioned earlier that R.C. Sproul points out that, that there is the same word, baptizo, that's used in the Old Testament when it's translated into Greek. And, and you, you can't, in that context, he, he speaks about the dove that's being baptizoed in its own blood in, in the basin of the Old Testament. And that, that imagery can't possibly mean submersion. A, a dove doesn't have enough blood to be submerged into right. it. And then, and then likewise... Also over the Old Testament, there's tons of images of sprinkling, and I will sprinkle you with hyssop and you will be clean. Um, here, here's what I would say to the, that person. I really just want to make sure that they do not think that the water is the thing that does the cleansing. And the heart of it is Jesus is the one who does the cleansing, and the volume of water isn't the factor. 
otherwise, Will, I mean, to be blunt, I got enough sin on me that I need to be submerged in the ocean and dunked to the very bottom. And yet um, we recognize that the volume of water isn't what signifies it. Then you have to ask the question, who's making a promise here? Is it me or is it God? Right. And then if it's God, then does the volume of water make the the cleansing efficacious? Does it make it have power? Or could it possibly be that God's saying, I'm the one doing the cleansing? The water is simply a sign and a seal Okay, to signify it. So you're saying whether it's sprinkling or washing, what's really important here is that this sacrament is a sign of being engrafted into God's people through Christ. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, 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 and so for adult believers, that's, that's um, what we'd call believer's baptism. And we'll talk about next time uh, what that means to be engrafted into Christ's family as an infant and what that might entail. But the, I think the things we've covered so far, we've talked about the institution. Jesus is the one who instituted it. We've talked about the mode. That's water. But I do want to connect um, the fact that when Jesus takes this image of water, uh, you mentioned in an off, offline conversation about John chapter 3, Jesus saying to Nicodemus, if some, unless somebody's born of water and the Spirit, they can't be cleansed. Which is Jesus speaking metaphorically to say, I've got to be the one that does the cleansing, and the Holy Spirit's going to be the one that makes that happen. But if you—I wanted to read a passage from Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25. This particular passage is um, the— it's one of the places where God promises to give his Holy Spirit to his people. And he says in 36, 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And then he goes on in verse 26, and I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Um, that's an Old Testament image of sprinkling with water, um, which tells us that, number one, that's an Old Testament image. Water is the mode. But also this this picture that sprinkling would be enough to cleanse me? Absolutely. And the reason it would be enough is because God is the one who does it, right? Uh, and God is the one who's telling us whether we're clean, not you and I. And I, I, I've had... Uh, friends tell me experientially they like the concept of being submerged. Well, that's a different conversation entirely, right? That that then takes the sacrament and says it's really about how I feel about the sacrament, as opposed to what God is signifying there. Isaiah 44, verse uh, 3, does the same thing. Um, in Isaiah chapter 44, there's another Old Testament image of water being a cleansing instrument to bring about um, God's, God's goal of accomplishing the cleansing of his people. 44, Isaiah 44, verse 3. Apologize for the time it's taking me to get there. Uh, there the Lord talks, is, is actually making a prophecy about his own son, the Lord Christ. But he says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing to your descendants. Uh, This image, again, of this concept that water signifies the cleansing that God will do, signifies the life-giving power that God will bring forth uh, to to that land which is thirsty. This is not a a promise to, to plant a new stream in the desert 
It's a it's actually a promise to pour life giving water from the Lord Jesus Christ, um, and so which is why Jesus um, connects himself to water in the New Testament. Right. I was also thinking of Hebrews chapter ten. Mm-hmm. Yep. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience mm. and our bodies washed with pure water. Yeah, and so that's a great example because the, in Hebrews 10, he's actually picking up, at, the whole book is is to people who are very studied in the Old Testament, and he picks up that image of because we've been sprinkled clean uh, through the washing by the blood of Jesus Christ, therefore we pers- we can engage and move in towards the Father. With a with a pure heart, um, but that's that's the writer to the Hebrews picking up on all of that Old Testament imagery of God being the one who's going to do it, right? So anyway, because of that, we got this concept of 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 the water is a concept that just runs throughout the Bible, um, and it's really helpful. One one other thing I'd say, Will, and and this is a a matter of practice that that the early church had to become confronted with. If this is if this is going to require submersion in the most arid parts of the whole world where rivers don't run, um, there wasn't always going to be a way for people to run down to the Jordan River and get submerged. So the early church uh, wasn't practicing something that was going to be an impossibility in deserts or an impossibility in some parts of the world. The The only issue was not, uh, i got to get submerged. The only issue was God's making a promise. And that promise is a is not contained in the volume, and it's not contained in whether I get fully under the water. It's contained in God making the promise, and here's the washing symbolizing it. And and of course that goes to the point that this sacrament is not essential for salvation. That's right. Because people are going to be in you know certain areas of the the world that don't have a lot of access to water, and so I guess the, right. like you were saying, the volume of the water is not important. What's important is the sign that it's making that you're sealed by the purifying work of Christ. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. That kind of goes to the significance of what this sacrament really is. Um, it is, in that sense, it it signifies salvation. But baptism is not in itself salvation. So our Roman Catholic friends would say that that um, when you baptize an infant, you're washing away original sin. Uh, and then, th- so then the child begins after that washing in a neutral state towards God. Uh, nowhere in the scripture do you get that sense. Um, the water doesn't have the power in its H2O form just simply to wash away either original sin or actual sin. The water signifies salvation, which is done by the Lord's grace. Right. So we just to put a nail on the coffin here, we sure. talked about how baptism is um, instit- instituted by Christ as a sacrament for the church, but it begins with its practice in the Old Testament as a way to show washing and cleansing. Mm-hmm. And Christ picks up this imagery in the New Testament and institute it for the church as a sign and seal of his purifying work that he does on the cross for our salvation. Yes, yes, that's exactly right. So, so then Peter picks up this, the substance of this, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he says, uh, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, 
in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, he's, this is a much longer conversation, but he's really talking about um, that the gospel itself was actually proclaimed to, to those who were enslaved um, apart from Christ. The gospel itself, in a sense, was preached through Noah. But he's making the connection, First Peter is, that God's patience was, was on display in the days of Noah while the ark is being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. And then he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, which is a verse that most people go, oh, baptism saves you. But then he says it, this is what he says after that, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, he's actually saying it's really not about the water. This is pointing to a cleansed conscience, which has been cleansed, not because I got water poured on me, but because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the time today, Pastor Zellner. Is there any other last points? No, I think you 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 know we can we'll pick some of this up next time, but it's gonna this significance also connects to adoption. It also connects to forgiveness, uh, and then we also know that baptism in itself is not essential for salvation. Uh, it is a it is a sign of salvation, but it's not essential for salvation. So, yeah, this is great. I think I think we'll be in good shape to pick up next time with the infant baptism portion. So this time next week we'll be talking about how this baptism sign. Uh, portrays itself with the children of believing parents. And we look forward to that time with you, Pastor Zellner. So thank you. Thank you, Will. I appreciate the time today.